welcome to episode 6 of There Is No Planet B, our series to tie in with the COP26 conference. In this episode, host Marlene Halliday interviews Lindsay, Cathal and Scott, three members of Glasgow Calls Out Polluters, who were all active during the campaign, about their experiences and where we go from here. Welcome to another episode of There's No Planet B, brought to you by Independence Live Media. I'm Marlene Halliday. I'm hosting the series of uh, conversations with climate activists. We've got as far as episode six. And this week, I'm talking to some of the people who are involved with Glasgow Calls Out Polluters. And in fact, um, we're going to be talking to three of them. Here they are. We've got Scott, Cahill, and Lindsay. Um, and thank you, thank you, all three of you for for being fair to come on and 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 chat to us here. Scott and I, we've talked before. We you, you've been a guest on on just on the radio side of Independence Live Media, so it's great to have you back, Scott. We're going to first of all hear from each of Cahill and Lindsay and Scott about what they've what they were up to as activists in in Glasgow Glasgow COP. Before we do that, um, it would be good, perhaps, Scott, could you could you give us a bit of background about Glasgow Calls Out Polluters, you know, what, what you do and, 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 and why you do it? Hi there, and good to be on. Yeah, it was a campaign that was kind of two years in the making, really, because of, like, the, the kind of COVID delay and stuff. So we kind of organised around, like, one particular issue at COP, although it's what we see to be one of the most serious issues um, that's kind of at play. Um, and that is like the role of like big polluting companies in terms of influencing the political process around COP. So think about big polluters, you can think of companies like Shell, um, BP, Chevron, Bayer, um, these kind of big massive multinational companies. Um, and they tend to have like quite a lot of lobbying influence and um, privileged access at COP. That ranges from so many things, but also includes things like sponsorship too. And this has been a long fight, right? So people have been fighting against this for well, 25 to 26 years now. So for us, you know, it was probably the question we were asking ourselves was, you know, it's kind of weird when the COP comes to your city. Like I still can't quite understand why Glasgow of all the places in the world ended up hosting this massive event. But um, yeah, there's probably some responsibility to do what you can to like stand in solidarity um, with those kind of experiencing the sharpest impacts of the climate crisis. Um, and we felt that taking to task big polluters and doing what we could to support that kind of long-standing fight was one way in which we could be um, good examples of solidarity. So yeah, there's like plenty of important issues that big polluters try to influence at the COP, um, from like agenda items to like, and we can touch on some of these later, I'm sure, um, to like so-called false solutions to things like pushing the idea of like net zero very hard. So yeah, for us, it was about doing what we could to be um, in solidarity with people fighting against these companies that we think are pretty like illegitimate. Um, I think that's about it, roughly in terms yeah. of that, yeah. that kind of intro. About. I think from what you said earlier when we were chatting, I think Scott that you were were you coordinating things a bit behind the scenes while COP was actually on. What what were you up to? 
Yeah, that was it. I actually wasn't out and about as much as what I thought I'd be. Um, I was taking more of a kind of coordinating role, and that was often just like linking people together from like Scotland, um, the rest of the UK, and from across the world, because obviously everyone's kind of descending on Glasgow at the one time and like finding ways to like make sure that through our kind of connections and contacts, people were well connected and therefore had the chance to get to know each other. And obviously some actions that people did were more on the kind of risky side. So it was a chance to like, just to like create that space for people to like kind of come together. Um, and yeah, I ended up doing a lot of behind the scenes support as well when actions were happening. I was often doing the press um, and doing like kind of social media. Mostly it's just about when this is going on, it's where you can be most useful, right? And particularly with me doing like a lot of that other stuff, doing like a lot of the other kind of behind the scenes organizing, doing the kind of press and social media and all of that for actions. Um, yeah. was probably like the most useful I could be. Yeah, I mean, well, it's good, isn't it? I mean, that, that there's a lot of there's a momentum that has to be kept going, especially with social media. So uh, I'm sure that was a a pretty useful job you were you were doing in in the background. So Kaho, if we move on to you, you you were a bit more out and about, I think. It was quite an interesting experience to me because yeah, about two or three weeks before comp, uh, I was like, we had done something called the Scottish Polluters Awards, and then. I'd been quite involved in organising that, and then um, once I had finished, it was like, okay, turn, let's let's see what's going on in COP. But it didn't really have like masses of things planned, so it was like, hmm, I wonder what I'm going to get involved with when that when that comes about, because that's been our big focus. But because we're quite a small group, it's always like difficult to well, usually focus on multiple things at once. But um, when COP came along, yeah, I was involved. I, yeah, on the first day, I was involved in something which was just like this kind of uh, stunt with a group called Mark Market Forces um, were kind of dressed up in like race car costumes. They had a thing called Race to Zero and they were kind of calling out Barclays Bank. And that was just a little thing that took a couple of hours. But then after that, I was involved in a number of kind of disruptions. Uh, we went to this event at the University of Glasgow, which was um, organized around the sort of um, UK and Italian Chamber of Commerce. And um, there was a group there called Eni, which is one of the big seven oil majors, which was kind of trying to present itself, its green credentials. And we kind of went in there and we kind of made a link with Fridays for Future Italy. And we kind of um, sort of called them out and basically stopped the person from any kind of speaking and made some speeches, sang some songs. And... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, and that was really the start of it. And then we, we've we've done quite a few other events like that. I did another one, which was like about institutional activism, where I think it was Microsoft, NatWest, uh, SSC, and maybe Scotch Power. Some of the sponsor sponsoring um, companies for COP were basically running this event on what it means to be an institutional activist, which we thought was a bit of an oxymoron because even if you're an activist within an organisation. If you're sanctioned by the organization, you're an advocate. You're not an activist. It doesn't make any sense. Yeah. So so we kind of went in there and we kind of had a slogan, which was drop the act. And we called out the different companies in there. And they really didn't expect us, which was really quite funny. Because if there was one event where activists were 100% going to turn up, it was an event where companies were trying to co-opt the idea of what it means to be an activist. Yeah. So... Um, yeah, that, that was also that. I mean, all of these things got like some media attention because we'd kind of, I suppose, created some contacts in the run up to COP and then, yeah, had a, had a way of just quickly producing press releases and stuff like that. 
Yeah, so those were a couple of things. I think I was involved in a sample of a lot of the different types of direct actions as well, so some more spiky stuff. Um, but yeah, I just, I just kind of threw myself into it, and it, it was really good because there was all these platforms. Like before COP, we had to kind of create platforms. We had to do a lot of work to put together, say, the Pluto Awards, you know, because we're a small group. We've got no money. But uh, the, the, you know, the, the, the people attending, the corporations were, were creating their events, spending months creating these events. It yes, was just a fantastic yes. time for us just to, to do a little bit of work, to, to kind of get in there at the right time, and we could have quite a big impact. And they did all the work for us, so that was really quite satisfying. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and Lindsay, let's come to you. What, what, what were you doing? Um, what sort of actions were you involved with? Um, so I came from a slightly different um, start point from these two um in that I, I just moved back to Scotland this year and wasn't really like plugged into any networks yet and but with the COP coming up um I'd been involved in climate activism and anti-nuclear stuff over in France where I was living so with the COP coming up I thought this is like the time something must be going on like I need yeah, to kind of get yeah. and I kind of got hooked in by um joining into some online meetings of Climate Camp Scotland which is like a um, was created in 2019 with the sort of aim of building up mass mobilizations against the fossil fuel industry in Scotland with the aim of like shutting it down um, eventually. Yeah, just from sort of a couple of online meetings like that, I then transitioned into real life, uh, met some people in real life, uh, one of which was Scott. And then from there, I kind of got invited into a sort of group of, of activists who were all in the same position, really thinking like, this is coming up, this is like almost upon us. We need to really like kind of try and get it together and do what you know get get things happening um so from there that yeah that led into being involved in in various actions during the two weeks some spiky some less spiky um but alongside that I'd also sort of my other kind of point of contact had been or kind of entry point rather had been to sign up to the COP26 coalition which was um yeah. happening during that whole time as well um, and for people that maybe didn't know what that was, um, this was like a a coalition of civil society groups, like some climate justice groups, some sort of more social justice um, focus groups, who and they put on like a fantastic four day counter summit um, in the middle of COP. But also like throughout that two weeks had uh, movement assemblies every day. Um, so they were bringing together some people. Every, the format was always somebody who'd been inside the COP who would come and report back like feedback to that assembly and then you'd have a, a variety of speakers on a given theme per day so I was just I was just about purely like doing kind of welcoming yeah. volunteering with that but which which was allowed me to just listen in on some like really yeah. great speakers and they they also did like a lot of work in actually helping logistically bring people over who were not um, invited into the blue zone um, a lot of like indigenous delegates and different NGOs different different activists grassroots people so they really like did an enormous amount of of work behind the scenes to get that happening um and did a, a good job in like really like helping push that narrative of climate justice and pointing out how how exclusionary the actual co official cop was this year even more than ever um especially with covid and the sort of vaccine apartheid situation so yeah that was that was me kind of a bit in both in both yeah. zones uh, yeah. Just kind of my two weeks to being involved. Um, Sounds like you landed landed in back in Scotland and were running running immediately, Lindsay. Actually, it was oh, quite not a time. Quite immediately, but like yeah, definitely <laughs> started to sprint in those last two weeks. Yeah, um, yeah. 
So uh, yeah, I'm I'm hoping I feel like it hopefully is like a good time to start start building building momentum actually. How does it feel? I mean, maybe like Cahill and Lindsay, so you were out there um, doing things. But Scott, I'm sure you're out in the streets at, at times as well. And, uh, you know, whether it's, an, you know, an, an action demo or, or, or a walk or a march or something. How do you feel when, 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 when you're doing that? Is it like something that gives you a real lift? Um, I mean, do you feel a bit apprehensive about it doing a bit? Or, you know, how does it, how does it affect you yourself? Um, for me personally, it's like um, it's the thing that makes me feel the best uh, in the face of like climate despair, which is like a very real emotion. Is the complete antidote to that is doing things with people who also care, and and I would add to like to nuance that I would say like the more you're in a sort of activist space, like the stronger that feeling is. As opposed to like the for me like the sixth of um, November the big march with everyone was great but it's, it's not necessarily the time that I feel the most like fired up. I quite like doing things that you've really like had a hand in helping prepare. Yeah, 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 yeah. I can understand that. And and I mean, Cahill, just going back to some of the actions that you you described. So you've gone into as you say, you know, some big conglomerates put a lot of effort into creating a, a an event and 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 you manage you and the others managed to get in there and it sounds like you were doing a good job of disrupting some of them I mean how do you how do you feel you know as you just before you go in there and then as you actually start disrupting it how, how does that leave you feeling with the call preparation was so times were so short with some of these events we'd kind of tagged them maybe a week or a couple of weeks before but we hadn't really done any substantial preparation until probably two days before or something like that um so i think the timeline is so short that you don't really have any time to practice your speech or anything like that you know you're, <laughs> yeah, you, yeah. you kind of you write something the night before or something like that and you just you read it off you know your phone or whatever like that you know you do you do the best you can i mean the most important is to be clear and and to kind of um you know, we're not we're not necessarily, you know, we're not doing a debate where we have to be. So you don't have to worry too much about yeah. um, remembering your script and all that. Yes. Yeah. So in that sense, I think it's just the anticipation, and I think once you probably do it once or twice, you realise it's not necessarily that hard if you're doing it with other people. Hats off to whoever probably starts it off, because once they start it off, then it's like it's on, and like you know, you kind of get strength from that. So I think it it takes a bit more courage to be the first person to stand up and do yeah. it but i think because you know there's other people present and uh, they're often standing with you then it, it's not too tricky and i think it it does it does feel satisfying because a lot of these things were also live streamed and things like that so they weren't able to necessarily immediately limit the the kind of viewership and all that kind of stuff that there was people watching it they they seen what went on and they just had to do some sort of damage control yeah, I mean, I think I think it's I think the importance is that um, yeah, the, it did feel like these things have an effect. You know, it's it's important I think when you're doing these things not to not to put excess pressure on yourself to to kind of to expect to have an effect on a scale which maybe is unreasonable. You know, so I think we have to be aware of yeah. the scale at which we operate. Um, that's why I think these big mass mobilizations like the march are important. I personally was quite disappointed because it ended up like usual in Glasgow Green, 
when I think it should have ended up somewhere where, you know, it was more pertinent to what was, you know, near the, I mean, the blue zone is quite a bottleneck to get in there, but I still yeah. think it would be better yeah. if, even if that road was blocked or something like that. Um, because it just kind of, to me, highlighted the fact that, um, yeah, the mass mobilization part of it has a, has a limited effect. It, you know, it's, it's a thing people get together in the day, but then after that day, there's no real sense of what that achieved beyond showing people that a lot of people care. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, you, you, that's true. I mean, you get a lot of, you know, you get a lot of exposure on on TV channels, and I mean, also foreign, you know, not just UK, but foreign TV channels of, you know, a big shot looking back up. I don't know. Uh, one of the streets in the in the town, and it's full of marchers. I mean, I suppose that has an effect, has an impact when it happens. But yeah, I can see what you mean, and I, I suspect that about it ending up in Glasgow Green. I suspect that is pretty well. That's what Glasgow Council and the police are used to, and they know it's a place where you know you you can. It's big enough to take a large group of people entering it. So I suppose that's one reason. But I do see what you mean actually, and and uh, once you get to a, a, at the end of a march at Glasgow Green. It can feel almost a bit of an anticlimax sometimes. Um, I haven't done it much, but one, once or twice, didn't manage to get to that one while COP was on. For people who are watching, what actually happens when you start to disrupt a meeting? Do you, you know, do do you suddenly become aware of the, you know, the security guys approaching you, or do, do you just wait and see what happens? Do you know, do, do you see sort of like shocked looks on the presenters, the official presenters' faces? What's it like? One of the factors, especially, I don't know. I don't know how crucial this is, but because a lot of the different, you know, even the big polluters are, are trying to reposition themselves to to kind of um, convince the public that they're on the side of uh, climate solutions. I think um, they 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 often don't necessarily want to be seen explicitly. Um, or they maybe find it more difficult to repudiate um, activists in certain contexts. Yeah. So, um, so often what happened in, in, in the things is that you know, the, the, especially in the universities, uh, the security just was like, "All right, you know, are, are you finished yet? Uh, <laughs> all right, you've had your time. You ready to go?" So we're like, "No, no, no, just a few." You know, so it was. <sighs> There was there wasn't really outright hostility per se, and you know in terms of the way that the pa the people in the panels or these things dealt with it, it was just to sit there and kind of either look kind of shocked or bemused or or just um, but not not really willing to. I mean, I think when I spoke at one point, there was a guy in the audience who tried to talk talk over me or something like that. I mean, it was kind of interesting. I suppose what's interesting is like we were keen to kind of continue these tactics beyond COP, so it's going to be interesting to see yeah. how people respond um, outside COP. Um, but yeah, I mean, once things got going, I suppose, I think the experience across our group was that we managed to to kind of do what we wanted to do and then kind of like marched out with a song or something like that. So <laughs> it was... <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Lind Lindsay, how did you find it? Well, actually, I, was just, I just have a, ca a question for Kathleen and Scott, maybe. Um, mm -hmm. I'm just wondering, like, if you continue that tactic, you know, if that becomes, like, more predictable, whether there'll be, like, a kind of um, firmer response or else a sort of filtering system where they try and kind of stop you from getting in in the first place. 
I don't know. Yeah, good good question. I think it's possible. I think it's probable. Um, but I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing either. Um, it's almost to a certain extent a win that corporations don't feel they can perform in public without receiving some sort of challenge. Um, so to a certain extent, I think that might happen. I'd be surprised a little bit because I don't think corporations really think, in terms of like the PR stuff, they might not think that far ahead, but they might make moves to yeah make um, certain events like less accessible, right? So like there were some events at COP26 where it was you know £600 to get in or whatever, um, yeah. and therefore it's only for a certain class of people. Um, but that also, I guess, leads to like new ways in which it can be challenged. Um, and obviously, the fact that they are doing events for six hundred pounds or whatever—that's one just one figure for one event. Um, you know, that kind of tells its own story about like what interests um, they're serving anyway. Yeah, yeah. So, wh- how are you left feeling having done all that? Because obviously, you know, you and and the others involved with the group have put in put in a lot of hard work and and um, you know gone and. Uh, you know, being uh, being in situations where, uh, you know, well, I can imagine if I was doing it, actually, I I would certainly feel a bit exposed kind of going in to to do that. Hopefully I would have managed to pluck up the courage to do it. Um, So now that that's all over, how how are you left feeling? Do you have a sense of, um, you know, well, yeah, maybe a momentum that's picked up? Do you think it was an effective set of actions? Are you, you know, pleased with how it's how it went? Yeah, broadly speaking, like in terms of like connections and solidarity and like, um, and this isn't to be underestimated, but just like making good pals and strengthening bonds with people that you organize with, yeah. 100% a success. Um, and we're all, all the people that were kind of doing those things are in a far better place now than what, what they were even, you know, at the start of November. So yeah, unquestionably positive in that sense. I think the actions we did were important they had at least some sort of impact. And even if that impact is that corporations are less likely to feel comfortable pushing, you know, like heavily, heavily financed nonsense um, in public spaces, I'm sure that's going to be at least one um, effect of the actions. Some other actions we did also push back against things like, or try to push forward things like loss and damage to, um, yeah. to, to a more central place in the climate agenda. Whether we actually achieved that with those actions, like there was one dinner that got disrupted that was by, I mean, it was a dinner in that Gold's House place, which was where the engine works is in Mary Hill. Um, it's basically oh, like yeah. it, it was for eight days, you know, an elite dinner club. Yeah, Leonardo DiCaprio was there on the second. But we weren't, we weren't disrupting Leo. Um, like we're all quite big fans here. Um, on the eighth, they had a big lobby group. Cathal's like actually shaking his head, but we'll park that for one for another day. But yeah, um, that was like an industry lobby group and they were having a dinner on loss and damage day. So they represent BP, Shell, a lot of the companies again, they're one of the worst people at the cops. Um, and they were having a dinner themed around loss and damage. And for us, that was a bit of a farce. Here are people who should literally be liable for the climate damages they've caused, having a kind of backslapping dinner. Um, and they're doing everything possible to avoid um, paying any sort of liability. So we like blocked the dinner, the dinner didn't happen. And we tried to push forward and make them pay message um, instead. Yeah. Whether that message really got through, I'm not sure. I don't think it probably got through as much as um, we wanted, but at the same time, there is still value in making sure industry trade groups who are the worst influence over COP have some sort of accountability. Beyond that, 
climate movement wise obviously it's hard to talk about the cop in like really optimistic terms because we know that like yeah the path we're on is pretty pretty bleak um and whether we as a kind of broad climate justice movement did enough i'm not i'm i'm, I'm a little bit uncertain but at the same time like this was a context like no other like everyone i know was like stretched you know and doing everything they could so it's hard to, it's really hard to say i guess yeah 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 i can i can i can understand that um so I'm just looking at the comments that are, that are coming in. A couple of people were agreeing, actually, with what you said, Cahill, about the about the march ending up at uh, Glasgow Green, and perhaps perhaps that was always where it was going to happen. But um, the, there might have been another place where it would have had more of an impact. And um, I see someone, human love, solidarity. Thanks for your thanks for your comment. Um, so just agree, again, kind of agreeing with what you've just said, Scott, that uh, corporations. Do not like embarrassment, you know, and bad publicity. Uh, you know, the, the truth when it gets out hurts them. Uh, of course, getting the truth out is uh, is 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 what's is what's difficult. What do you think yourselves about the outcome? Where where we are now? We've got the Glasgow Climate Pact. Um, how optimistic are you feeling? Are you feeling about that? Yeah, I mean, maybe not a surprise to people listening. Um... I don't have much great to say about the Glasgow Climate Pact. In fact, I'm actually surprised it's got a name because, <laughs> you know, the precious little was actually agreed upon. Um, the only thing that was really kind of formalised in a kind of serious way was the um, issue in carbon markets. Okay, that's a really boring name. I'm not going to go into the details of it. I don't know if you remember the thing I was speaking about the last time we spoke, um, and it was the part of the Paris Agreement that was written by Shell, um, you know, that is yeah. the part they got agreed yeah. upon. So like, the one success they had, really, is something that I consider to be profoundly destructive. I mean, I, I'm not alone. That's a, quite a common position in the climate justice movement. Carbon markets are awful. Um, and they just allow big polluters to keep on polluting whilst you know paying lip service to like, planting trees or something. That's basically the idea. The stuff on loss and damage. So there was supposed to be finance for loss and damage. This was agreed in 2009 in Copenhagen. Um, and... The kind of principles of the UN kind of say that, you know, rich countries have a bit more responsibility, which is true. Um, and these countries agreed to pay £100 billion per year to um, so-called developing countries by um, 2020. And it's now 2021 and it's still not happened. Um, and the United States, with the support of the EU and the UK government, are the biggest blockers to that. They do not want any discussion on um, liability for climate change. So that's like profoundly disappointing. Like that, that's something that could make a difference. 100 billion is honestly nowhere near enough either. The estimates are in the trillions for what's needed. So it's this paltry amount. And yeah, the rich nations aren't even willing to um, give that aside. Yeah. Um, yeah. And the stuff fossil fuels was mentioned. I mean, can we even call that a success? I mean, maybe if we're really, really wanting to stretch the terms. That's true. That's what we said. Was it well? For, you know, for the first time, coal and fossil fuels get specifically mentioned, which just seems um, incredible. That it's taken twenty six years to get to that um, to that state. It's hard to be disappointed about something that you had very very low expectations of in the first place. The only thing I was kind of, that I was encouraged by, I suppose, I was just like not engaging massively with what was going on inside because I was so wrapped up in what was going on outside. And for me, it was an interesting contrast to being in Paris in the um, when it was the COP21 here. Uh -huh. um, the subsequent kind of build-up of the climate movement that I kind of experienced here, 
I was like heartened by the the sense I had that the general public or the the kind of messages around climate change are getting I don't know whether this is just through my own filter being more engaged myself but I get the sense of it being a more politicized response and a less kind of uh, vague and kind of blame free kind of response where we talk about a general kind of we humanity uh who need to like you know pull a finger out and get this sorted and a more like focus on well i mean this completely ties into the work of of glasgow calls out polluters like completely like shining a spotlight on who is preventing us getting there like why are we why yeah. are we 26 cops on yeah. why are we still yeah. in this yeah. shitty situation and you don't have to scratch the surface too much to start to understand that it's it's a question of all these vested corporate interests so I was like in yeah encouraged by that and by the kind of focusing um again this is all happening outside of the cop largely on but on climate justice on and that message of like responsibility lies with certain countries and with specific individuals in those countries even yeah that just the notion of, that it's a justice issue actually it's like a, it's it really comes down to that and and it's interconnected with a lot of other a lot of other issues that we're we're like facing on mass now um like pandemics and poverty etc it's all like part of the same the same like capitalist system that we're living under so yeah that was that that heartened me i suppose just to sense that there were less panels saying like oh we need more butterflies and trees and more panels saying like dine with polluters and you know i'm just looking at the comments and uh that's one of one or two people have asked a bit more specific questions one is yeah but how do you get america and china to follow up on climate um you know the action that's needed for for climate change do you think um well at least president biden came um, although he didn't stay that long, but you know, after then, after COP, he he and the uh, Chinese government have obviously been talking and you know talking about what they can do to um, you know to take some some action forward. How does that strike you? I mean, first of all, do you believe that it'll happen? And you know, do you think that's um, it may not be a brilliant big step, but is it is it still worthwhile? You know, uh, doing uh, that going ahead. What, what what do you think about that one? I suppose in some ways, like, I don't see mm. demanding countries to do more different from demanding, say, especially when it comes to the US, like, corporations and stuff like that. I think going through, like, putting pressure on the government, I think, who's going, one who's going to put pressure on the US government is quite tricky. They're, they're the kind of most, I mean, China and the US are powerful. So to me, in some ways, Personally, I think we need to put more pressure on corporations because I think in some ways, um, yeah, the U.S. position is is primarily serving corporations, not primarily serving its general populace um, in terms of them. They were quite key in, in kind of watering down actually the, the, the kind of the language on fossil fuels, even though they're pointing the, the finger at, you know, China and India. Um, it, it was, you know, particularly focusing on coal, which isn't. Um, so much of a kind of an economic interest for for the US now, which is much more uh, involved in gas. Um, so it serves them that actually that was, you know, f fossil fuels weren't maybe, um, the language wasn't quite as strong as it could have been. Yeah. Like for me, uh, COP felt, yeah, pretty flat, both from, I think, uh, 
Like, I don't think even the people who are pushing things like net zero and, and, and you know, who wanted to, like the US who really wanted to come out of this looking really good, I don't think they looked as good as they, they hoped. Um, but I also think the activism in general, like, even though we had quite a successful COP, I'd say, um, I don't think in general activism was anywhere near as successful as it would, I would like it to be. It, it kind of shows maybe, I don't know, like, I mean, I've, I've also heard, like, one of the reasons that Glasgow was chosen was because they didn't expect, like, there to be a crazy activist response like you might get in somewhere like London, um, you know, um, for various reasons. So I've heard that Glasgow was quite strategically chosen. Um, not that there isn't passion and all that, but it, yeah. maybe it's... Maybe it's Maybe it's organised and orientated towards other other yeah. areas. Yeah, yeah. Um, so going back to the kind of yeah, for me, I feel like COP didn't come down hard enough. Obviously, against the like the fossil fuel companies were supposedly excluded from official spaces. They managed to get in through other means, and so I think even from their perspective, they, it wasn't as 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 successful as they hoped because, like I said, they're realigning their position. They're going into trying to promote their hydrogen interests, their carbon capture and storage. But I do think that it didn't really hold them to account. Um, so, mm. you know, so in some ways, yes, it's about holding countries to account, but it's fundamentally about holding these corporations to account. And I think that wasn't done very successfully at COP. I think, you know, Shell and Exxon, and interestingly enough, actually, a lot of the, the you know, in, like, I just, uh, my uh, electricity supplier uh, bulb just went bust. Um, and then a number of, you know, green uh, electricity suppliers have gone bust yeah. over the course of COP. So so that kind of showed how kind of fragile yeah. those business models were, which is fascinating. They, they went bust because of their, their gas elements of their, their business. Whereas, you know, all, you know, Exxon, Shell, well, people have been trans transferred over to Shell, their electricity supplies. So to me, these companies have to be the losers in all this thing that's 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 my feeling it's like we always talk about climate winners and losers and like at gcop we really know who the losers should be and we should do everything in our power to make them the losers because if they're not the losers everybody else kind of loses yeah so, so us china all that's important but especially the us china is a kind of a weird entity because i think the the kind of government and the private sector are much more sort of fused and the government's quite powerful in a different kind of way internally uh, than the US is. But especially with the US, the US kind of primarily serves the interests of its corporations. And so the corporations are the, the kind of main aspect of that kind of relationship yeah. that we feel like we need to really target. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I mean, it's interesting talking about, you know, br bringing, well, the corporations, bringing them to boot. I mean, some of those corporations, they're, their annual turnover is 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 a lot bigger than some of the you know turnover of the smaller some of the smaller countries that that were there. So the countries there as a country, uh, the the big corporations um, are, are, are as you say like they're maybe the ones that um, it would be great if we really could bring them to book and you know claw back some of the billions of profits that they've made over the last. Uh, 30 or 40 years, well, 40 or 50 years. I think there's a, someone's just asked you um, if there was much of a presence of animal agricultural, agricultural industries at COP. And I think they're wondering because, you know, livestock accounting for it, something like 16% of greenhouse gas emissions um, 
that, that they might have been a, a presence at the, themselves. Do, do you know if there was much of a presence for, for agriculture? I, I know there was a little but um, it wasn't something I must admit that I followed super closely. Um, I did do some research on something called the intercessionals, which are basically like a kind of before COP. Um, and yet I was quite surprised, you know, they're part of the COP process. Um, and I was quite surprised at how many um, yeah, big dairy companies and stuff were part of things. Like mm. a little bit shocked and obviously they're aware. I guess the reason I'm, sh- I'm not shocked because I know how bad um, the kind of dairy industry is. Um, thing I'm not, it's actually not my area of expertise here, it's just something I'm not clear on is how much decisions about animal agriculture um, actually, you know, get made at the COP because I thought there was like other kind of UN, there's actually other UN COPs, believe it or not, other conferences of the parties. Um, and I'm pretty sure there's like agricultural ones where like decisions yeah. more about that get made. But there was quite a strong yeah. presence and strong movement for um, kind of plant-based stuff and I heard a lot of people talking about it so I, I, I might be missing something um, I'd be interested even if anybody knows in the comments um, they yeah, might know more about yeah. it than me Again, one of the comments here from Human Love Solidarity uh, who's been obviously listening listen to us it's just he or she just commented the people have decided the best route is outside the system so that yeah, that's presumably meaning the best route to you know for to to get things done to make something to happen is to go outside the system. So that would be outside, especially the COP system. Go you know act effectively inside where you can, but don't think that's going to be the main way that to get something done. Do you think that's right? Do you think that's that's where we've got to? You know, twenty six years of COPs and with where we are, and as you do say, it's not terribly impressive. I mean, it, okay, it's making it's. It's it's making small steps, but we haven't got very much time. Do you think that's that's true that that that, that uh, maybe there is that we're on the cusp of a a much bigger grassroots activist set of actions? And think that might be the way the way forward. Um, that was like from having spent sort of um, time in the COP twenty six coalition, so the Alternative People Summit um, space. That definitely felt like the message that was coming from practically every speaker that I listened to uh, was, I mean, yeah, it's a, re- a real, obviously it's it's kind of among friends in that type of space because, you know, the people who are there are very much like convinced of the power of like activism or, um, you know, they've, they've kind of, already, it's already, I mean, it's slightly preaching to the converted because these people have already decided that uh, COP is a kind of useless exercise. So that, that very much felt like the message, like the change is going to come from the streets and from the, from the people but it's a tricky one because like the fact uh, still remains that like we don't have like we don't have our hands on the levers of of yeah. power so we still yeah. are in a position of like feeling that we're just trying to pressure we're just trying to pressurize the people that that are in those um positions so yeah it's it can feel like frustratingly kind of utopian rhetoric sometimes yeah, you can think, oh, yes, okay, we know exactly, but how do we, how do we do this? You know, how do we get from uh, from this, like, pretty dystopian nightmare that we're in to, you know, the, <laughs> these um, these ideal scenarios that that we, we've sketched out? Um, and unfortunately, I don't really have the answer to that. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, we're yeah. Kind of, like, revolutions or... <laughs> Or else do we try and just kind of build our parallel systems alongside alongside this capitalist system? 
it, yeah, they're, those are never-ending debates, I think. They, I they are indeed. They are indeed never-ending debates. And they come around every decade or so. And I'm old enough to remember the debates about, you know, world revolutions that were happening in the late 60s. That's a long time ago from your point of view, obviously. Um, but, you know, things do kind of recover. But, uh, but of course, it, you know, whatever discussions, you know, my generation might have been in back then, um, about taking down the capitalist system. And however well meant, you know, and deeply held those sort of views were, actually the, the planet was not in danger, human civilization and the way that the numbers of people that the planet can uh, sustain, that that was not um, in, in question at the t back then. Of course, that's what's in question now. That's, you know, that's where we haven't got the, haven't got much time left to, to do it. So, I mean, Lindsay, a, a few a wee while back, you mentioned, you know, climate emergency, well, depression or or despondency, and I mean that doesn't surprise. I mean, I, I, you weren't necessarily saying that for yourself, although you 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 may you may feel it. So if if you look at our four pictures, it's be quite it's quite clear. I am a couple of generations uh, ahead of you three. You know, although I can feel it very deeply and, and, and feel grief, actually quite acute grief sometimes about what I see happening in the world, um, I am not, I'm not going to be around when the worst of it happens. I'll be off the planet or in the planet, buried somewhere. Um, for, you, for you and for your generation, that is, that, that's the acute kind of situation that you're having to deal with. So just, just to finish off with, are you, are you left feeling... You know, you've done something that was good and was had. Yeah, of course, it's not ideal. But if we wait for ideal, we'll never get anything done. But it started something, and and in some way, does it help? You know, you deal, the three of you deal with, um, you know, a possible path where you do just feel despondent and um, you know, unable to act. Where are you left now? For me personally, yeah, like I sort of mentioned that earlier. I definitely think action is like the way out of um, climate despair. But I'd also say like, I think like a key thing in the movement is maybe to, well, it's maybe a double pronged thing to like try and turn climate despair into like climate rage. Uh -huh. That's how I it. Like we shouldn't be despairing and gloomy. We should be like bloody pissed off and like, and know who to direct our anger at actually. And not, yeah, not just kind of, uh, go into some sort of fatalistic mindset of all oh, we're doomed so what's the point of even trying this intro? but alongside that I would say like it's quite important to kind of cultivate like joy and friendship and solidarity um, and those are the things that like help you to like combat all of this stuff um, and yeah I would say like my definitely my experience in during the COP was really positive in that sense like is it it felt like, uh, yeah, the beginning of like, of friendships and good connections that we can take forward. So that, yeah, it's funny, like kind of the deeper you go into it, almost the better you feel, but it should kind of, <laughs> I don't know, you might think it have the opposite effect. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think it, that is just, that is just so much better than like reading articles and and hanging your head and yeah that's that's that that's good that's good to hear um Cahill, you got anything on along those lines of how you're left feeling and there you are relatively young man and um you know what do you feel about the future ahead of you 
I think on one, her, one hand, I think this is kind of like a perennial like struggle. So to me, um, I think each generation has their different struggles. I mean, I suppose in the past, if you were kind of like a, like a peasant, uh, you were kind of confined to like a very, very specific strata of society. And if you tried to move outside that, you were basically stamped down in a way that is probably as bad as what a lot of the things that might happen in the next centuries. So I think, I think one of the things is that a lot of parts of the world are already exposed to this, this kind of, a lot of suffering. Um, we in the West, especially if we're relatively privileged, are, are foreseeing how this is going to extend to us. It might, it's probably going to exacerbate people who are already living in that, but, but they're already living in terrible conditions. So I think, I think, um, this kind of narrative of, you know, we and how we're going to face it, it's, it's much more differential than that. I suppose for me personally, I always see like life as something quite dynamic. So I, I always see like there being possibility and different options. Um, it just takes probably more people to believe it, you know, because yeah. so yeah. on the other hand, I think, you know, this kind of whole thing about dual power and all that, I think one of the difficulties is like, you know, obviously people like the fossil fuel companies, they, they control the infrastructure. They can, you know, so even if we capture the mindset, that's fine. It's great mindset, superb. But in some ways, unless you, unless that, that capturing a mindset allows you to contest those those structures and infrastructures. Um, material damage still persists, um, at least to the extent where it's going to lead to disaster. So, yeah, I think it's challenging. I think if people are, you know, like like Lindsay said, um, are kind of um, getting active, doing things, and trying to at least live a life which they feel is is in keeping with their values, then that helps. And I think that can make a lot of difference. I think we need to be able to deal with also the fact that things are likely to get potentially difficult over the next century. That doesn't mean it's necessarily going to be the apocalypse because I think the reality is often much more complex than the continued apocalypse. That doesn't mean it's not going to be terrible, but I also think we need to also recognize the Christianity, the kind of Christian Western mindset, which continuously um, almost wants to see the end of the world and can't seem to deal with anything in between. So for me... The future is looking very uneven. It is looking like a lot of people could suffer. Um, that's why it's more important than ever for us to really. Um, it's you know, we there's we're not going to have everybody being winners. But yeah, like I said, if yeah. if we really um, can, um, I see what, how we can do as a, as a group and, and 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 our allies can really start to to expose. Um, these these companies and make them more accessible to regular people to challenge them in different ways um then i think that can have some effect yeah um, yeah 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 thank thank you i guess just on the question of hope and the future yeah i mean i would broadly echo what's been said um yeah i mean i guess it's like that kind of distinction between like optimism and hope right um which somebody once said to me and kind of kept it um kept it in my brain somewhere um because i guess it's difficult to be like if you look at the current trajectory of climate politics and um like the kind of science of like how it's all kind of manifesting it's maybe difficult to hold, hold on to like that optimism and there is like quite a lot to unpack with what's going on there and i'm not saying i'm actually good at unpacking that i actually probably keep it keep it under a lid mm, yeah because i'm not used yeah. to it now isn't a healthy way to deal with it. Um, I sometimes forget like when bad things happen, you know, I'm just like, oh well, X or Y's happened. I'm like, well, of course it did because 
I knew that was going to happen. Um, but yeah, there's always a hope, right? There's always organising. There's always, um, no matter where you look, people who have who are doing some sort of resistance in the face of, um, you know, complete what what some people might term as like a very despairing situation. Um, and a lot of those people came to Glasgow because they feel like yeah. they've got a lot to share. Um, and we heard from a lot of people. I think probably all three of us here did um, at various points. So yeah, there's resistance everywhere. And there's resistance in Scotland as well, right? Um, look at all the workplaces that took action. It does exist. It's just it's just a question of like kind of in power, really. Yeah, yeah. Well, listen, I, I've really, I've really enjoyed. I've really appreciated being able to to talk to you, uh, you know, today and um, and just kind of get that kind of you know description of what it was actually like. And um, yeah, you know, for me, but maybe for other people, kind of watching, maybe just it's be good to say thank you so much for what you're doing and for what you did during those two weeks and um sounds like you're going to carry on doing it so you know thank you for thank you for 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 that that comes in the future as well and someone um someone's just commented or we've well back they commented uh, just saying um we are the best we've got and i suppose that's kind of maybe as good a a point to to, to finish as well that you know it, it's 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 who's prepared to go out and do something whether it's what you've been doing or maybe it's whether a bit more inside the system whether it's a bit more kind of technically to do with the science or, or whatever but yeah we're we're the best we, we're who we've got we're the best we've got and um uh, humans love solidarity has just commented action is the solution to grief and yeah i i think i i i, I agree with it i i agree with that um but yeah thank you Thank you so much for coming on, and uh, well, you know, hope we'll see you again uh, at, at at some point. Thanks, Thanks, for, Thanks for having us. Looking as one. So that was the latest in our series of uh, There Is No Planet B, and um, we've got another couple of episodes still to still to uh, record. We'll hopefully, get them done in the next week or so. Um, but thanks again if you've been listening. Those of you who sent in comments, we really appreciate that. Helps us a lot, and uh, we'll see you. We'll see you next time. You've been listening to episode six of the series There Is No Planet B. If you'd like to watch the video version of this, it's on Independence Live's YouTube channel. It was presented by Marlene Halliday. The podcast version was produced and edited by Fiona McGregor. Music was by Scott Buckley. Thanks for listening.